Well, let's dive in this morning. Uh, in 2024, um, I, I felt as I was leading us into this year, uh, I felt like this word behind me and on both sides of me was the, the focus that God was calling us to in the year, specifically as it relates to how we engage our spiritual life, this idea of, of living intentional, intentional, intentionality in how we live our lives, how we go after Jesus. When we talk about this word intentional, I love words that kind of intuitively uh, people understand, right? So when I say the word intentional, I'll talk about intentionality. I, I believe that intuitively each of you have a grasp and understanding of, of what that word means and what it may look like to be intentional in your pursuit of going after Jesus, right? The idea of intentional is that in this thing that God's calling us to, would no matter what it may be, and I say, hey, you're going to be intentional to someone or something in something, and the idea is that we make a decision. There's a decision that we make, which leads to a purpose or a plan birthed out of some inner deliberation. And then when we decide what that is, we then put effort into it. So the idea for you is that in your life, you see something that you want to go after. And when you have that thing that you want to go after, what do you do? You sit back and you deliberate. You, you think about that thing. You think about it. You allow thoughts to go through your head. And then you create a, create a plan to make it happen. And then you set some purpose behind it and effort behind it. So when going into 2024, for me, like there are lots of things I'm going after. One of those things, I said, I want to become a proficient fly fisherman in 2024. That was something I began to think about, right? Back in October, November, began to think about the year. Like, what are some things for myself that I want to do, that I enjoy, that get me outside of my house, get me outside of my job, and something I'm really, really passionate about. I'm already passionate about bass fishing, but let me become passionate about fly fishing because I just am passionate about fishing in general. So we begin to deliberate, we begin to think about that, right? We begin to think about what that would take and what that would mean for me, all that kind of stuff. So I then made a plan. I called a buddy of mine who was an Orvis guide and who gets 50% off all of his Orvis stuff. And I said, hey, bro, will you do me a favor? Will you order X, Y, and Z for me? So he ordered me a fly rod, a fly reel. He ordered me the bag, ordered me some waders, ordered me some lures. David Redmond, God love him, bought me some lures for my 50th birthday party, right? It was super, super great. And so in that, I have a plan in place, and I literally had a date on the calendar to go fishing on Wednesday, but it's supposed to be 25 degrees, and the people that I'm going with, I mean, they're wimps. I would go, but they don't want to, so we're not going, but we did plan another date in February, going up to North Georgia and going fishing, and I'm really excited about it, right? The idea is I had this idea in my mind of something I wanted to go after. I deliberated it. I processed it. I thought about it. I created a plan in place. And I put effort into it to make it happen. The idea is simply I was intentional. And so in your life, right, nothing really happens in your life in the plans that you create. You never attain those goals apart from intentionality and purpose because these things don't happen by accident in life. There's something intentional you have to give yourselves to. Now, thinking of the new year we just entered, most everyone talks about resolutions, right? They hope to go after in the new year. 
I thought it was fascinating. In a recent survey in Forbes magazine, they found on average that resolutions that we make last for about 3.74 months, right? I love the math of that. Less than 4%, right? Less than than 4 months, excuse me. Of that, 8% say they stick to their resolution or their goal for a month or less. 22% last for two months. Another 22% last three months. 13% last four months. Listen, only 7% of people stuck with their resolution for the entire year. 7%. Resolutions will not be accomplished, right? By accident. The thing that we give ourselves to requires intentionality, deliberation that leads to a plan and purpose to accomplish the resolution you have planned and the effort to make it happen. Again, coming into the year, I felt a strong urge to to lead us into this place that we and you are a people. I'm a person who is intentional, not just with resolutions, although that's good and the goals that I set and definitely for fly fishing, right? But more importantly, an intentionality around your spiritual life, your spiritual life what you go after, what you give yourselves to in relationship with Jesus, who you see yourself being in the identity that you have in the context of your life in being a follower of Jesus and giving yourself primarily to that relationship. So a beginning point for you to begin to ask yourself is this. Think about all the energy that you expend in a day, that you expend in a week, the amount of energy you expend in a month, and then you give into a year. And if you're honest with yourself, and it may be larger, maybe small, my question for you is how much of your energies are given towards the priority of the eternal relationship that you have with Jesus, right? The, all the things you give that will not be doing in heaven versus the thing that you will be giving yourself to for eternity, I think all of us at least understand that our spiritual life, because it's eternal in nature, means that whatever we're investing into here has kingdom impact and eternal consequences. And so with that being said, then our spiritual life, then, I would make the argument, and maybe it's just my opinion, but I have the opinion strongly that giving myself to my eternal relationship with Jesus should get the best of my energies. And my hope at least maybe is to, to lead you to a place of that same conviction in your own life. Last week we had a conversation around this, and it's on the screen. We said this, practically speaking, practically speaking, no one can learn from their past unless they slow down. We're talking about this idea of intentionality, right? Practically speaking, no one can learn from their past unless they slow down, look at it, and learn from it. If not, they will be prone to make the same mistakes all over again. Or if it is something positive in our past, unless we slow down and look at it, we will not realize what we did that caused us to succeed and never learn how to duplicate it. The idea for us being clear and simple, there's an intentionality in how we look back on our year to learn from our mistakes and to learn from our wins, right? To, win, to learn from our losses and to learn from the things that we won in 2024. The idea, we want to gain wisdom. That's the nature of what we learn and from our past is we gain wisdom from our experience, right? Putting our mind into and engaging it, we learn from our past and we gain wisdom. 
And so in this place, there's this lifestyle of intentionality of looking back and learning, pausing to learn from last year so we grow in wisdom, so we take healthier and more productive steps this year. My hope and conviction for you is that you are living with wisdom this year, that you are taking healthier and more productive steps this year in your life because of what you learned from the past year. And I believe our spiritual wisdom, our spiritual health and spiritual productivity is something God is calling us to be intentional with this year. The primary spheres of wisdom, health, and growth that I want to focus on in upcoming weeks will revolve around several different primary rhythms that characterize our life. First, what does it mean to have a life of prayer? And what does prayer look like? A relationship with Jesus. The second thing I want to focus on in our our rhythm of life is rest and renewal with a focus on mental health. Next, we will talk about just relationships, relationships in general and relationships that we have that grow us or hurt us. And then we'll talk about work. What does it mean to, to spiritually pursue Jesus in the context of work and make that a healthy rhythm in our lives? But before we dive into these, I want to, I want to look at the biblical conviction around personal responsibility in the context of our spiritual health our spiritual growth, and our intentionality, right? Our responsibility. I think each of you recognize that you play a primary role in your spiritual growth. With that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Second Peter, starting in chapter 1, going from verses 3 to verse 8. It says this, His divine power, talking about God, obviously, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious promises and very, excuse me, his precious and very great promises so that through them may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now. Before we start talking about our responsibility, my responsibility, your responsibility, we first need to understand God's commitment to us and his role in our growth, right? The idea we want to start with God. What is God's role in this? What is God's quote-unquote commitment? Or you could say, what is God's responsibility? It's a responsibility that he owns, right? But what is his commitment to us? Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. In the beginning of these verses, Peter names these three words. He names grace, he names peace, 
And he names this word divine, which all speak to the nature of the Godhead. The idea is that when we think about who God is and the nature that defines him, it's a nature of grace, a nature of peace, and that he is divine or he's Lord over all, right? It's his complete essence. It's who he is always. And the heart behind the placement of these words, right, the heart behind their placement in the sentence and the conviction of Peter in appealing to his readers is that it is God who ultimately empowers the knowing of Jesus. So before diving into a person's responsibility in their growth, Peter first dives into God's sovereign action. He is control of all things, God's sovereign action. He leads them to God's grace right? It's grace and peace be multiplied. These divine traits and the essence of who God is, he wants to multiply them in your life as you know God. That's the work of God. He multiplies the grace and peace of God into your life, and he also brings about his lordship where he says the divine power has granted. Why is this important? He leads his readers to the feet of Jesus and says, in the midst of your responsibilities, in the midst of the effort that you're going to give, in the, in the midst of the intentionality that you need to embrace, rather than looking at self primarily, I want you to start by looking at Jesus. I want you to lift your eyes off of self and your inabilities and your fears and your anxieties. I want you to lift your eyes off of your lack of self-discipline and all of these pieces. And I simply want you to look at the grace of God. What does grace do? The grace of God says, hey, you didn't earn it, but I want to give you ability and power to do the things that I've called you to do. And then he comes and says, peace. I want to grant you peace. Listen, we live in a world full of anxiety and fear as we look at all the things going on around us. And we always feel like we're sinking, right, in the water like like Peter did when he was walking on the water. We feel this. And he says, but that is not the definition of where you start. Your fear and anxiety don't have to define you, right? Because that's a place you're trying to control things in your life. Where you can start is the peace of God. It is given to you. Why? Because he is divine and he is Lord and he is speaking it over you. And so just because this morning when you get to this place of intentionality and living on purpose and all the words we could use here, all I want to say is as you start, I want you to stop looking at the list that you've created and the things you're going to do, right? I want you to stop looking at all of your failures, and I simply want you to start by every single time you go into the place of knowing Jesus and just look at him. It's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, what does he start with? Our Father in heaven. Why? Because he knows everything else, everything else has to flow from that place of seeing Jesus. Because when we see him, all things become possible. It's the place that we start. As we speak about our growth in the upcoming year, we have to be careful again in this to not to focus primarily on our own ability or willpower or lack thereof, right? Peter's going to lead us here in a few moments to, to their responsibilities, right? But before doing that, he leads and points them to God's investment, God's movement, and God's empowerment. He starts with Jesus. 
we have to do the same. It's the essence of Proverbs 16, 9 on the screen. It says, the mind of a person plans his way. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord directs his steps. You can spend a lot of time talking about this verse, the implication about the nature of the tension or this like co-mingling of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, right? Lots of people have spilt a lot of ink on these two subjects and exactly how they play out, right? But the guy, the idea of sovereignty is God is in control and he's leading things, but we're not robots. So in that, we have a responsibility also to partner with and link with them. We make plans, but we do it knowing, God, you're in control. God, you are Lord and you're leading. And I think the place for us is to spend time saying, God, help me to grow in the knowledge of the Lordship of Jesus and what it means to take all the keys that I have in my life or all the doors and all the activities and to hand them over and say, you are the keeper of my keys in every area, and I will start there. So the place that we begin in talking about responsibility and our role to play in it has to begin with Jesus and starting saying, you're Lord and I'm not. Second, Peter transitions from God's commitment or God's responsibility to to our responsibility, our responsibility. Look at verse 3. It says, his divine power, beautiful, right? God's work has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him or the true knowledge of Jesus. So again, the previous verse, we're enabled by God to know Jesus. Here we are told that we have been given everything we need to succeed in life, everything we need to attain godliness, but it comes with a catch. We have access to the everything through the knowledge of Jesus, through the knowledge of Jesus. And yes, this means the moment we first know Jesus and enter into relationship with him, but it also it means the ongoing knowledge, continuing to invest into that relationship. Do we all know, I think we'll make sure we all know, that you can continue to get to know Jesus better and better and better Every single day, right? Listen, I am learning new things about Randall every single day, and they're all amazing, right? All amazing. I'm learning new things. I'm growing in the knowledge because the ideas are mind can always, we've always been created with the under, with the idea of our minds always being able to, to, to expand in knowledge and understanding. And so in this place, we can continue. We have knowledge of Jesus, but we can continue to have the knowledge of Jesus. We have access to everything, to the ongoing knowledge of Jesus. The idea is simple. Everything we need pertaining to life. Think about this. Everything that you need pertaining to your life. Everything that you need pertaining to to moving towards godliness in your life, is available to you in the person of Jesus. We don't have to earn it, but we do have to participate in grabbing hold of it. That's the intent of the word through. The word through could be seen as a door of sorts, where we on one side and everything that we're talking, like the everything here is on the other side, and all we have to do is walk through the door and grab hold of what's in front of us. We have been given the power to do it by the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God. We've been given the right to do it now as God's children, right, to walk through. Through represents for Peter the shift 
in his conversation. His readers, listen, must participate in their spiritual growth by walking through into the knowledge of Jesus. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, listen, it's not given to us. Like, okay, let's see if you can earn this. No, it is apprehended and grabbed hold of by us as we walk through. It's just sitting there for the taking. Everything. We're not earning it. We're just grabbing hold of it. Like, practically speaking, guys, you know what this has felt like in your life. There have been moments, right? You can look back on the history of your life. You can look back to moments and seasons where you were going after the knowledge of Jesus, right? You were spending time in the Word. You were spending time in prayer. You were spending time meditating on Him. And all of a sudden, these truths about God began to come alive to you. Why? Because you walked through to grab hold of everything, the knowledge of Jesus, right? It says if you walked in and when you got near Jesus, like all of a sudden, you understood truths about who God is and who you are in context and relationship with him. Have you had those moments of just divine revelation, an awakening of moments of like clarity of who God was, right? Because you grabbed, you went through, there's a through mentality. And then have you had seasons of your life when you then began to pull back? And maybe you just weren't, listen, because it wasn't, no guilt here, no shame, but just because of life, you pulled back, and there wasn't the, you weren't going through as much, and you weren't connecting, and seasons of pulling back, and all of a sudden things that were so clear over here, you begin to question over here because of the reality of the world and all the crap that we go through every single day. And so he's saying, that's why it's the ongoing through into the knowledge of Jesus, because sometimes we get there, we're so beautifully convicted by the truth of this, and then life happens like, well, right? He says, just go back through to the knowledge of Jesus, because everything is still there, right? It's the responsibility of the through saying, God, thank you that you have empowered me by your grace, and your mercy and your ability just to walk through this door, and then I have to work to ascertain this. I just walk in and go, faithfulness of God, there it is. The beauty and the majesty and the power and the glory of God, oh, there it is. Control that God has in his sovereign, oh, there it is. Peace, God, there it is. It's the nature of the through into the knowledge of Jesus to ascertain, to grab hold of what is already there for our taking. It's the through. Third, Peter names the hope that we possess. So when we go through, and I'm not going to, listen, I love this. As we kind of go through to everything, he names the hope that we possess. The hope that we possess in walking through the door to the knowledge of Jesus. He names these three things. I'm just going to look at one of them. One, he names the promises of God. So the idea is you walk in and you become awakened to the promises of God. You also become awakened to that you are now partaking of the divine nature. That doesn't really make sense, does it? You're like, what does he, what does he mean? What does he mean to partake of the divine nature? Mm, I don't know. It sounds good. All right. Like, 
I mean, there's a partaking of the Christ likeness. I'm stepping, I'm being changed into his image. I'm not alone, I'm no longer defined by the flesh that I live in on my daily basis, but I'm now defined by being a child of God, and he's been creating me into his image, and he has made whole, he's made perfect according to Hebrews 10. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What does that even mean? I don't know, but there's something beautiful about being shaped into the image of God so that when I get my, gave my life to Christ to where I am today, I look more like the divine today than I did yesterday as I walk through. That's beautiful. I don't fully grasp it, but I want to spend time thinking about it. I invite you to do the same. The third thing he says, promises divine nature, and you become alive to the reality that you've escaped from the corruption of your sin. Jesus no longer calls you a sinner. He calls you a child of God who recognizes your frailty of struggling with sin. You were a sinner. You died to your sin, and you were raised to new life. You are now, you're no longer a sinner. You're just alive, and you struggle with your sin. And he's saying, because in this, I have created a safe place in relationship with me where the world and sin can no longer destroy you forever. It's beautiful. That's what you walk into as you walk through into the knowledge of God. But I want to just focus this morning just quickly on the promises of God, just focusing on one. Some have estimated that there are over 30,000 promises in Scripture. John Bunyan once said, the pathway of life, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. When we talk about the promises of God, there's not a, there's nowhere in scripture that says, and here are the 30,000 promises of God and gives you some laundry long list that you can go through, right? To know the promises of God, you actually have to go read your Bible, right? You have to go dive into what God says about himself and what he says about you and how he relates to you. You have to go for yourself and learn the 30,000 promises. And here's my, here's my, here's my challenge. See if you can find more. Right? See if you can find more. Just a few of them to kind of put in the context of what you're looking for when talking the promises of God. Things like when God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's a promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God literally promises that he can never turn away from you and walk away from you. Second, God is faithful to us at all times. God can never be unfaithful. Isn't there something so beautiful and majestic knowing in a world where, in a world where people will turn on you like this, God never turns. He is always faithful to you. No matter where you've been, no matter how far you've gone, he chases you. He comes after you, right? He is faithful. God puts, according to Psalms, God puts the lonely in families. It's a promise. God saves those who cry out to him, and then there are 29,996 more give or take promises. These are the things I come to the Lord and said, God, you promised, you said this, thank you, whatever it may be, right? The idea as we walk through the door to the knowledge of Jesus, these promises aren't then given to us. Instead, we wake up to the reality of their presence and power with us every single day. They're already true as we walk through, they become alive and awakened in us. 
Do you remember that moment when all of a sudden something that had been true about you for a long time, right? All of a sudden you had, like, you all of a sudden realized, like, whoa, my gosh, right? Maybe, like, you're sitting here walking by and you see a car outside. Now, this is back in the day, never forget. Like, it was, there was, like my, dad, my dad always had boats, right? We always had boats, buying and selling boats. I'll never forget. I walked by the window one day. I saw this boat one day just sitting out there, and I looked down. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is our boat. We get to go fishing. We get to go fishing. Oh, my gosh, right? There's this, like, whole revelation. Like, I didn't realize it was mine. Then all, and it was great, though, but all of a sudden, I realized it was mine. I was like, this is amazing, right? That's what we're talking about. It's already yours. We simply wake up to it. We walk through the door with intentionality into the knowing of Jesus. Listen, as I spend time with Jesus, the reality is promise they're awakened in me. And I love this. They're awakened in us again and again and again. We're not awakened to the faithfulness of God once. We're awakened to the faithfulness of God every single day. Just let that sink in. Every single day. I realize their truth, their power, their presence in my life. And so in this, we have to be aware of it. Just one quick example. I've said that I believe one of the, um, my conviction, personal opinion, is that one of the number one issues facing people in the church specifically is the spirit of rejection. People live every day with the expectation of their friends rejecting them, of their boss rejecting them, of someone rejecting them, then they go sabotage a relationship in fears of just getting rejected. So they just reject them in advance, and they'll be in charge of their rejection, right? It's just this horrible, horrible thing. I'll tell you, and when I was praying for people, like when you look at the four, there's like these primary roots you deal with. The root of rejection would be a primary issue people face every single day because of their past, because of things that have happened to them usually. So as I walk through the door... As I walk through into the knowledge of Jesus to spend time with him, what I want to then do, if that is what I'm dealing with, I'm being crushed by the spirit of rejection, then walk through the door into Jesus, and I want you to then meditate. I mean, the meditate is a beautiful biblical word that means to stop, to let everything else fade away, and just focus for a long period of time on one attribute of God or just one thing. And I want to encourage you to go meditate, like literally put like right here mentally in front of you, the love of Jesus. Remember back when you were in science, when I was a kid, and they put that, that, that burning candle in front of you with all the lights down? I want you to write down as many attributes of that burning candle. You may also have to do that when you're growing up in science. And so like, so, and there was like, they said there's like, I don't know, like 1,100 things you can write down. I'm like, what? About to have a burning candle? It's wax. It's melting. That's about it, right? It produces heat. I think I had 10, right? But the idea is I sit there and I meditate on the love of Jesus, and all of a sudden all the truths and the realities of God's love begin to overwhelm me, and the truth of it begins to destroy the lies of rejection. It may take a day. It may take a week. It may take a month. Or it may take the entire year of intentionally walking through the door into the knowledge of Jesus, saying, God, this year my commitment is to give myself to you and let your love define me, not the spirit of rejection and i walk in and i meditate on jesus's love i meditate on his faithfulness i meditate on the fact that he delights in me 
meditate on it, focus on it, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more and more of Jesus' fullness to me and allow his promises to wash you clean of the fear of rejection that's defined so much of your life. Does this work? I will tell you this, specifically doing that. I just told you my life story. Right? I know you all think I'm super cool and super winsome and all I can make are friends and everybody wants to be near me. That did not define me for a long period of my life. I can tell you a moment. I can tell you the moment I awaken to the understanding, oh, Steve, you are suffering under the weight of rejection. And I'd like to hell with that, literally, to the hell, to hell, back to hell with rejection. And so I just spent time with people, had people pray for me. I like dove into this, meditated on these pieces until all of a sudden it was like one day the truth of God's love awakened in me. And that's that verse in Song of Songs that says, you've made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with one single glance of your eyes. And I saw that and I was like, God said, that is you. And, I'm like, <gasps> and it changed, it broke something off. So whatever that is for you, give yourself, listen, maybe the years is to be intentional to dive into the promise of God, of these theses, the enemies that's been feasting on you, and to dive into it. I mean, this morning, again, just by looking at Peter's call to intense participation in spiritual growth, and then look at the result. And I say the intense participation because look at the language that, that Peter uses in, in verse 5. I can't remember if I put it on the screen, but it says this. The call of Peter is clear in verse 5. It says, make every effort to supplement or grow in, right? Make every effort to supplement or grow in. And then he lays out a bunch of traits, right? A traits of Jesus, traits that can define us. He names faith, like, right, this faith, best into, continue to grow from faith into virtue, virtue into greater knowledge, greater knowledge into self-control, self-control into godliness, godliness to brotherly affection, and brotherly affection into love, right? And obviously there are more traits than this we dive into. Peter's just naming, creating a great list for us, because if we just give ourselves to these, it'll be enough, right? But there's so many traits. So he's the, here's the, he says, supplement, make every effort to supplement or grow in. The phrase make every effort in Greek literally is translated diligence all. This is what the word means. Diligence all. As in I'm giving all diligence to this. means to put all diligence in sin, put all effort. Peter is naming the attitude believers are called to exhibit in their personal and spiritual growth. It's not passive language. It is incredibly active language. Other theologians have phrased it different ways. I share these different phrases just to help build out a clearer thought process around this idea that Barclay says, bend all your energy to the task. Bend, bend all of your energy to the task, right? Philip says, you must do your utmost from your side. God's doing everything that he can, right? And it's the lion's share. You have this small role over here, but you have to do your utmost. Woos interprets it this way. Having added every intense effort. The, I, this isn't, the idea is clear about our participation in spiritual growth. We are to be fully engaged and invested with our best energies given not to earn but to move into the awakening of what is already present for us 
That's the beauty. The result, verse 8, is clear. It says, for if these qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so they're, out, they're, they're ours, but they're continuing to increase, they keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is saying we already have these traits in Christ. As we put forth effort in growing them, they will increase and they will make us more effective as we grow in our spiritual maturity. I think we recognize spiritual adults, right? This is language just from other places in the New Testament. Those who are eating spiritual meat, who are spiritually mature, are capable of doing more than those who are on spiritual milk and who are still infants in the faith, right? There's just more that they're able to do and heavier loads they can carry. It's just the nature. We want to always be growing. So if these qualities are yours, all these traits are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. These are things we grow into. And all of us know maturity is necessary. I want to end with a quote that I believe speaks to the heart of a need for living intentionally. It's on the screen. It says, If society is to be awakened one day from its deep slumber, it will only be done by Christians who have first woken up themselves to the full splendor of their privilege and who have taken seriously the call to live wholly and entirely for God. Maurice Roberts, Scottish pastor, theologian, and revivalist. Read that again. If society is to be awakened one day from its deep slumber, it will only be done by Christians who have first woken up themselves to the full splendor of their privilege and who have taken seriously the call to live wholly and entirely for God. I invite our worship team to come forward. And the idea this morning is just we kind of dive into this series. Is there's an invitation to each of you just to, to be intentional and your spiritual growth, that you're doing your part. God's done his part, now you're doing your part this year. See it as something you want to go after. Think about it, as, or give yourself to thinking about it. Find your purpose for doing it, right? Build out a plan to make it happen, then put effort into it, trusting that God's grace, peace, and lordship are empowering every step that you take. That's the goal. And so I just encourage you this morning just to be honest about where you are in your own relationship with Jesus, where you are in the context of your faith. Where are you in stepping into the year and with intentionality of going after a relationship and knowing Jesus, recognizing that there is so much beauty and so much extravagance of God's presence that's available to us. There is so much of his personhood that he has available to us to be awakened to. If we just simply say, oh, we're going to go through into the knowledge of God. And I thank you, Father, in that place, you're going to awaken me. And the traits that you have for me are going to be matured and grown and that lord my impact on our relationship will be profound and the impact that i will have in the lives of those around me god will be powerful as i become alive with you in ways that maybe i never have so i just invite you this morning to have an honest conversation with jesus recognizing what may be some barriers for you maybe you are struggling with a, a trait like rejection 
that is, or shame, or fear, something that's just grabbing hold of you, that you just need to say, God, I'm just going to commit to come through into the knowledge of Jesus, and I'm thankful, God, that you will awaken me from the lie to the truth that you have for me. This year could be a year of incredible breakthrough for you. And so this morning, God, I just pray, this place of intentionality, God, taking away the sense of like having to work to earn, God, I pray you would just crush that. And instead, we would just see it as the invitation to move into your presence. The invitation to leave the cold and to step into the sun where there's life. Lord, I pray today that you would just put a conviction in us, a desire. And Lord, yes, we have to put forth every effort. There's energies and that we have lifestyle changes we may need to make. But God, that we would see it as something we celebrate because we just want to know you. So, Lord, today, would you meet every person where they are and speak in Jesus' name?